This is Laura Deirda with the Becker's Cardiology and Heart Surgery Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Connie Boyd, Cardiovascular Service Line Director for Santa Barbara Cottage Hospital in California. Connie, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Laura. I appreciate the opportunity. Now, before we dive into the questions, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Uh, absolutely. So, um, I've been a, a nurse administrator for 20 plus years. I'm dating myself a little bit here, but um, I've worked in the uh, for hospitals, primarily the uh, not-for-profit sector of um, hospital administration. Um, I was a nurse for seven years, um, but nursing was actually a second career for me. Uh, my uh, first uh, bachelor's was in business um, administration and marketing. I did that for a few years but I always wanted to pursue uh, a career in nursing, probably from childhood. So um, the opportunity arose for me to go back to school, earn my um, BSN, and then uh, shortly thereafter, uh, I was uh, offered a position at uh, or with the University of Texas as nurse coordinator in maternal fetal medicine. Um, did that for a, a couple of years and then had the opportunity to go overseas um, with my husband and uh, we went to England, lived there. Um, it was a wonderful opportunity and shortly thereafter uh, decided to pursue my master's and had uh, the opportunity to attend the London School of Economics for their master's in uh, health economics and I thought that was kind of a, a, a great marriage of my business background as well as my uh, nursing background. So pursued that. Uh, it was a wonderful experience. Um, and then returned back to the States. And that's where I started back in 1998, started my career um, with a hospital in Houston, Texas. And I've been doing uh, that work since. Oh, fantastic. It sounds like you've really had a, a ton of different types of experiences within your career. And it's just so fascinating to think about all the different things you've been able to do and expertise you bring into your current role. So I'm wondering, what are your top priorities right now and how do you see them evolving in the next 12 months? Certainly, um, I think uh, my top priority is much like uh, others out there. It's adjusting to what I suppose is gonna become the new normal um, that's been dictated by the COVID pandemic, um, trying to uh, get, get things things back up to speed. Um, here in Santa Barbara, we've not uh, really slowed down much with the pandemic. We were one of the few programs on the Central Coast that actually um, didn't stop doing uh, structural heart procedures in particular, the uh, procedures TAVR, our watchman, our mitral clip. And that was primarily because uh, our population was uh, so ill and so it was considered uh, essential. So we continued on with that, um, and it's it's brought its challenges. Um, I think another uh, top priority is uh, transitioning and transforming our healthcare delivery um, to incorporate roles of telehealth um, as well as uh, AI, artificial intelligence, um, and, and meeting patients' expectations while doing so. So those are, I think, some of the most important, and of course, doing all of that uh, with the constraints that we have as a result of COVID and um, with staffing the workforce and financial uh, constraints as well. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I, I know the past year has been tough for so many reasons, but especially as you mentioned, looking at, you know, how the, the workforce is evolving and really what patients need. And I, I'm interested, you know, you talked about um, wanting to transform the the service with digital health and artificial intelligence, while also kind of meeting the needs of what your patients are demanding. And I'm wondering, what is um, are some of the, the things that are driving patient preferences, what are you seeing different from today than, you know, two or three years ago? Um, I think, you know, in terms of um, some of the the significant factors uh, is meeting the uh, baby boomer, so to speak, and and I'm one of those. (laughs) So, um, but meeting the baby boomer explosive uh, healthcare needs, um, you know, there are a lot of procedures out there now that are more minimally invasive. Uh, in terms of options, uh, particularly, again, in in structural heart procedures. So really helping patients determine what is best for them uh, relative to their condition and where they are in life. Um, You know, we have uh, procedures like the TAVR procedure and the MitraClip procedure uh, where uh, open heart surgery may not be an option, but it uh, it may also be an option, and it's really you know trying to help patients understand that minimally invasive is not necessarily always the best approach. Uh, it, yes, it will um, be a, a quicker recovery and get them back to their active lifestyles, but sometimes that's just not um, in their best interest, and it's really educating them and giving them the knowledge to help them make the the best decision. You know, the other expectation, I think, and it's it's not just baby boomers, but all of us, is, is um, the demand for an expeditious time to procedure. Uh, everyone, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, life-altering when you discover you need to have a heart procedure, uh, whatever it may be, and at whatever level. Um, so more often than not, people want to, you know, you want to get on with things and you want to get that procedure. You want to just go in, get it fixed, and... Um, recover as quickly as you can so you can get back to your active lifestyle. And so it's it's balancing all of that, um, getting it done, the workups, and, and, and providing them the knowledge to make the decision that's best for them, but doing all of that, uh, knowing it requires a lot of testing and diagnostics um, and just education uh, prior to the procedure uh, taking place. Got it. That makes sense. What are the biggest challenges you're facing today? You know, I think, um, as I mentioned, uh, uh, the comeback from the COVID pandemic, but also in cardiovascular in particular, um, we're addressing shifts of care from the inpatient setting to the outpatient setting um, as these uh, technologies and procedures that are minimally invasive evolve. Um, There's, you know, their hospital stays now are less than 24 hours often or uh, maybe just 24 hours in the case of, uh, for us, in the case of TAVR and MitraClip, they go home the next day. Um, and so, you know, CMS is looking at that. Um, they're looking at as costs cutting as well, Medicare. And so it, quite often they do, uh, you know, I, we're going to see where they're going to um, offer payment uh, and reimbursement for these procedures in an outpatient setting. That's not in the, you know, too distant future. So I think it's keeping up, you know, for hospitals, we've invested heavily in equipment and resources. And so to to try to figure out how to, to 
engage and embrace that shift of care. I think also keeping pace with technology um, and the impact on finances and resources that that has. Um, technology is evolving very quickly, particularly in, in the uh, digital healthcare, as you mentioned earlier, as well as uh, some of the AI. And um, some, you know, oftentimes these things come with a pretty hefty investment. And with it evolving uh, so quickly, it's it's it can be a challenge for hospitals. Um, to uh, want to stay uh, at the forefront of these emerging um, advancements, but knowing you have to, you know, you may have made a, a, a huge investment in infrastructure and resources in one, and one or two years down the line, it's changed. So I think that's a huge uh, challenge. And then again, um, the workforce, uh, the changes that are happening with that, um, you know, a lot of, uh, I'll, for an example, uh, nursing, you know, a lot of uh, nurses are um, coming up on uh, retirement age and, and getting ready to do that. And so I know a lot of nursing school programs have worked very hard to, to get uh, nurses and, and trained. Um, but it's not just the supply of, of these clinical resources. And we're seeing some of the same um, occurrences with physicians but it's also their expectations. I think the workforce of today has very different expectations um, as to the workforce uh, of 20, 30 years ago. Absolutely. I think that, you know, it's so critical when you're looking at how you want to move forward within the department and making sure you've got the right personnel and the right technology and the right plan in place. So how are you really thinking about growth, especially given, you know, some of the challenges you just laid out? Sure. I think, um, as I mentioned before, it's you know meeting the meeting the demands of of patients for uh, some of the more minimally invasive approaches uh, to their healthcare, and um, again also the um, managing all of that with within the time constraints. Um, you know, uh, when when you do get a a, a diagnosis that uh, is can be life altering, people want to do it quickly, and um, so it, it's really balancing all of that and having the resources at the same time to be able to accommodate that. Got it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, you know, when you think about making sure that you've got the resources, I know you mentioned, obviously, technology purchase, you have to be careful with that. Um, so, you know, you're purchasing something that won't necessarily go out of style or need to be updated in a few years. Um, how do you make those decisions? What goes into, you know, looking at the technology and then, you know, deciding to move forward with the final purchase? Sure. I think, you know, there's there's a lot of analysis that goes into um, an investment and, and purchasing. And I think um, that's where you have to do a lot of your background research, um, talking to not only the uh, the vendors who produce this technology, but, you know, engaging physicians um, as well as your, um, you know, administration and your leadership and, and trying to look long-term on what the, uh, the life uh, expectancy is of a particular technology um, and, and evaluating that. Um, so there's lots of different decisions, but I think it's very careful analysis, um, not to uh, oftentimes, you know, physicians and even patients now, you know, they're so savvy uh, with the internet and, and um, are able to find out what the latest and greatest things are out there. And so it's, it's not so much, let's, 
you know, making a quick decision to do something just because it's available, but also looking at what are the long-term implications for those investments and just trying to balance it out with the finances and the resources needed. Got it. Well, thank you so much for going through that with us. Now, before we wrap up our conversation, I wanted to ask, can you share three pieces of advice for emerging leaders today? Sure. I think um, the first one I would uh, say, and I don't think this has changed over the course of my career, but I think it's uh, a bit more out um, in in the public, is is to lead authentically. Um, Everyone is busy and um, everyone has uh, priorities that that differ at the various levels of management and leadership, but I think you know it is important at the end of the day to coach uh, your staff and to be present, whether that's a daily presence, a weekly or monthly at a minimum. I think um, again with with social media and all of the digital um, access that we have, oftentimes we forget. Um, I think just just to walk around and, and say hello and ask people how they're doing and and really um, have some face-to-face time. Obviously, if you're a CEO of a large corporation, that's a lot harder to do. Um, but I think, you know, a good leader will encourage uh, the, the leaders beneath them, the downstream leaders, to engage uh, with their employees so that they feel they have um, a, a role in this. I mean, at the end of the day, everyone's working toward a common goal. Um, to provide good quality patient care. And so um, I think it's important that you um, embrace that. I think the second uh, point I would say is to, uh, and it kind of goes hand in hand with the first one, but it's it's communicating with the staff and listening, um, you know, being cognizant of the, the needs and desires of the new workforce. Um, it, it does differ from uh, the way uh, we uh, led in the past, um, again, social media and um, access to information is a lot more prevalent than, uh, say, 20 years ago or uh, even 30 for that matter. Um, so I think, uh, you know, really um, addressing the communication styles and being flexible also with staff to accommodate them. I think work-life balance, it's always been important and We've always talked about that, but I think now more than ever, that is the expectation of uh, the the workforce is that they really do strike a balance uh, between work and life. And um, I think, you know, uh, it's life uh, is always uh, and always has been important and it it still is. But um, I think our parents and uh, generations thereafter, work was... uh, always the focus is to work hard and succeed and do well and provide for your family. And that's still the case now, but it's, I think the balance, striking a balance is is much more important. And then I think, um, you know, lastly, for me, uh, I view my leadership as a partnership, and I think that's important. Um, So, and by that, I mean a partnership versus an us and them approach. Particularly, I think this is important with physicians. Uh, regardless of what uh, type of physician integration model um, you may have or you're looking to implement um, physicians. uh, And and as with any relationship, I think, whether it's personal or professional, um, anyone that's involved, you know, they want to have a say in the decisions. And I think that's very important today uh, with physicians as well. Um, And even staff, I mean, they want to know that um, 
what they say may add some value. Um, so I think being open to that um, and, and really, as I said, viewing leadership as a partnership is uh, key. Connie, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. This has been a really fascinating discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Laura.